the optimal life. So, Justin, this morning I posted on Facebook, you have no bigger competitor than the voice inside your head. Hmm. What do you say about that? Yeah, that feels that feels pretty true for so many. I work with a lot of new entrepreneurs and coaches in the marketplace, and so many of them are struggling with what I call the art of influence and specifically the inner game of what's going on in their own head, their own hearts. They're struggling because of their identity or who they believe themselves to be or these old stories, this negative self-talk that oftentimes gets in the way of a skill set that's ready, a personality that's ready, and an opportunity that's ready for them. So what do you see? How are you able to extract that? Do you see that early on? And if so, what are some of the signs? Well, some of it's intuitive. Oftentimes you can tell when you're with somebody in a few moments, whether or not they believe in themselves, whether or not they have real authentic confidence. And and so we can feel that when we're in the presence of somebody. And I help people with sales. If the person that you're with can feel that you're lacking confidence and you're selling a service that you provide, they're going to lack a little bit of confidence in the buying uh, part of it as well. But people oftentimes tell stories that aren't necessarily true or certainly aren't helpful. So you see somebody, you're working with someone and, and early on, you're saying, okay, this person needs a lot of work. They seem like they're a little <laughs> unsure of themselves. They're trying their hardest. It's a little awkward. It's not smooth. Maybe lacks a little authenticity. Yeah. How do you how do you broach the subject with them? What do you what do you guys do to help them out from the outset? So what I recognize is their identities in progress. They've got some work that they need to do. Usually they're going to be really open about this, but we open the door to the conversation by teaching some content about identity, about our emotional state, about the stories that we're telling ourselves. When we teach the content and I go first by sharing vulnerable stories about times I felt really afraid, times I felt really inadequate, times I made mistakes in my life where I was and where I am. Like if I open up a vulnerability and then I teach the content and I invite them to share, most people are going to tell the truth. Mm. So that's the, that, that's an interesting tidbit is, Hey guys, let me tell you about my flaws. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about my shortcomings, what I haven't done the best. And you're suggesting that that immediately allows your, your client or the, the subject that you're working with to kind of go, Oh, okay, this is a safe space. Yeah, Nate, when when I'm teaching people how to design like a speech, let's say you're going to deliver a workshop or you've got a keynote speech or you're even just like leading a Facebook live or something like that. If you're going to speak to your audience, we should begin with an opening heart story. And the opening heart story, if told well, tells our audience that we are ordinary and that we're extraordinary. And the way that we're ordinary, they're like, wow, Nate's just like me. Same problems, same challenges, same fears. And they see that you're extraordinary. Wow, you've overcome some of those things. And here's what you've accomplished now. And ideally, the audience, if they're if they're aligned and you're telling the right story, says to themselves, wow, Nate's just like me. And I want to be a little bit more like Nate. Interesting. Talk to us about this Faith to Influence. This is your company. How did you even get started? So I've been in sales since I was 18. I sold Cutco kitchen knives when I was 18. I got into business to business sales, selling packaging for a while after that. Then I was in financial planning. Along the way, I hired a couple of coaches, Hal Elrod and then Ben Skemper uh, were my first coaches. And when I realized what they were doing for me and how much it impacted me, I wanted to do the same kind of work. And I said, I'm going to start my own coaching business. At the time, my coach, Ben, hired me to do some sales for him. And I had a few years of experience working with uh, Epic Impact was the name of the company, and then decided to launch Faith to Influence because I wanted a Christian version 
of the personal and professional development that I was experiencing with my coaches. And I didn't feel like there was enough of the spirit of God in that work yet. And so that's how I ended up deciding to launch Faith to Influence. Okay, so elaborate on that. Do you work strictly with Christians or are you open to all religion? I work primarily with Christians. I I have some clients that are non-Christian. There's kind of two parts to my business. One is working with new Christian coaches and they're between zero and 100K in revenue. I run a sales school. I help them design their offers and their pricing and how to sell it well and with integrity. All of the content about offer design, pricing, sales strategy, just as good for Christians as it is for non-Christians, which kind of explains the second half of my business, which is that we do partnership sales for others. I get hired by seven and eight figure coaches like Pete Vargas, Pedro Deo, uh, Dan, Dan Miller, David uh, Bayer, so many others to do sales directly for them. David Bayer is an example of somebody who's not a Christian and he sees the, the cross on my wrist and he sees the logo behind me and still hires us as a $5 million annual business to bring a sales team to his events and do sales for him because our process, while it has high integrity, is really high converting. It's really good sales content. And good sales content for high integrity people is the same regardless of your faith background. I focus on Christian coaches specifically because I want to be able to pray. I want to be able to invite God into it. And I want to create a space that feels like it aligns with the values of my core audience. And we find people who are not Christians find their way in and love the community as well and learn what they need to. Got it. So elaborate back on that. You said you recognized when you were coming up that you, you lacked a faith-based atmosphere or feeling you said god wasn't present dig into that what do you mean so it's interesting my startup company i worked for epic impact was a spiritual company like many personal development companies are professional development companies are in the marketplace there was a spirituality to it but it wasn't christian and so they talked about god and used different names like the universe or the weaver um among a source among other things and they, I, I just kind of contextualized while I was there, like, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God. That's that's Jesus that they're talking about. They're just using different language, different words around it. Uh, but the divide over time became a little bit greater. The company became more and more spiritual and the language just didn't align with like my faith and how I received God. And and I wanted to be able to speak about Jesus with his name and invite him in in the way that aligned with my faith and values. How do you receive God? I receive God as Jesus, Holy Spirit, and and Father God, kind of three in one. And so Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is the example of how we want to show up in a loving way. He was also a great leader, a great influencer. He was direct. He challenged people. Yeah, that's how I want to show up in my life. And he gives gives the model for it. God the Father provides for me and is who I communicate with on a daily basis via prayer and who I surrender to and kind of trust that he's leading me. And the Holy Spirit is inside of me. It's working inside of me right now. It's giving me the words to say. It's helping me love my neighbors a little bit better and uh, those sorts of things. Was Jesus a salesman? You know, I think Jesus was the greatest salesman I ever lived, you know, in, in some ways. I believe that sales, when done right, is simply making it as easy as possible for the right people to say yes. And mm. what did Jesus do? Made it as easy as possible for the right people to say yes. More people said yes to Jesus in history than anybody else. So yeah, I think in some ways he was, but he was also the, the the ideal salesperson that doesn't need anything from you. He's willing to uh, be completely abundant and give, 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 and just invite you and trust mm. you to make your decision. You know, he wants wants you to say yes, but he's going to move on to the next town if you don't. And you're employing and you're helping your clients employ those same strategies. I would assume you're taking that identical framework that you have in your faith 
and you're saying, hey, guys, let's employ these strategies. Let's get to the yes. So talk to us, uh, Justin, how, how do you, what are some of the, the main areas that a salesman needs to focus on to get to yes? Yeah, for me, there's, there's kind of two parts of the game and, and maybe I'd divide it into three parts. The first is what we call the art of influence. And there's, I'll, this is what I'll, I'll break into two pieces. There's the internal art of influence, which is your identity, who you believe yourself to be, your own emotional state, moment to moment. When you feel good, you get a better result than when you don't feel so good. And then the stories you're telling yourself about your product, about your service, about money, about sales, about your prospects. So many of us are prejudging our prospects or we're prejudging the price or we've got uh, unhealed, unhealthy stories about money or what sales is and those things cause us to avoid. So we need to get the inner game right. The external art of influence is about how connected we are to the people we're with, the way that we communicate using our voice in a number of different ways, language, volume, pace, the words that we're using, making sure that we're using the words that people can receive uh, that we're with. And then leadership, you know, sales should feel like leadership. It should feel like coaching with an invitation at the end. And so like, I want to help people master the internal and external art of influence, but then we have to kind of fit that into a structure. And so we've got a 10 step sales process, which I can get into, I can pause and come up for air here for a second if you like. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know what? Give us give us the high level steps. Just we don't need to fo- yeah. we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. But go ahead, give us the high level. Sure, high level. Like you're opening the call uh, prior to the call, getting into getting into a peak state. You're having a pre call ritual to make sure you feel good. You're getting into rapport briefly. You're setting a structure for the call. I call it a pre frame. This is to me the most important step. Telling people what you're going to do next and asking for consent to sell. Making sure that you're clear on the outcome and the decision that's going to be made. And from there, you're doing discovery. You're asking questions about the present and the past. And then you're asking questions about vision and the future and what people really want. If we know where they are and what they want, then we want to talk about the gap, the challenge, the thing that stands in the way. And if we can identify what that is, the question is, what's going to happen if you don't solve that problem? What's going to happen if you do solve that problem? And like walking through that visualization of what's possible. And then from there, asking how committed are you to solving the problem? And if somebody's committed and based on what we've learned, we think it's a fit statement of certainty. If you're committed, I'm really confident I can help. Are you ready to hear how I work with my clients? Yes. Consent again. Now I'm going to make my offer. I'll respond to any objections, questions, concerns that come up with calm, confidence, and uh, and curiosity, and hopefully help people find truth and make the best decision for themselves. Okay, listeners. So everyone that just took that 60-second tidbit and go back and listen to that again, because there's a lot of information you just dropped in there at a high level, which was perfectly stated. I would something that stuck out while you were saying that, I would imagine so many salespeople struggle to ask the questions. Mm. So many of them struggle to ask and then actively listen. Is that correct? Yes, that's so true. And the reality is, Nate, that what what I think some people get psyched out about is they think they have to have these great things to say. They think they have to have this great resume. And if they're new, they're like, well, I haven't worked with any clients yet. What am I going to say? How am I going to sell them on this thing? And it doesn't have to be about what we say. If we're doing it well, we want to become a master of asking great questions. And this actually takes the pressure off of you as a salesperson. If we focus on the other person and ask great questions, we're going to have a lot more success. And you kind of mentioned it right here. People struggle to ask great questions and be present with the other person. So the key here is to ask a question and then really listen with full presence, not thinking about what you're going to say next, not thinking about how you're going to use that in the close, but just being fully present with the person, giving them all the space they need to answer the question. And then trusting that this is where I'm going to trust God, the Holy Spirit. When it's my turn to talk, God's going to give me exactly what to say. 
how devastating is it, Justin, when somebody really is not actively listening? You're trying to sell somebody. You're asking questions. They're answering. They can tell that your your next your next question doesn't really piggyback off of what they just said. <laughs> it seems like you're going robotic. I mean, that to me is a real detrimental uh, situation. I mean, that's got to be tough to come back from. Once yeah, you, yeah, I think once you've lost, right. once you show that you're not listening. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and the reality is perception of sales and salespeople, like old perception, salespeople are greedy. Salespeople are selfish. Salespeople are sleazy. Salespeople don't really care about you. These are old stories that a lot of people have, and they're based on the reality of their experiences. But we can decide that sales with us is something totally different. Sales with me is service. Sales with me is love. Sales with me is coaching. Sales with me is leadership. Sales with me feels good for both sides and honors both sides. Sales with me is presence. And so if we decide that we're going to give them something different, then they're going to have a new experience with us and it's going to completely change the game and they're going to open up and they're going to feel safe and they're going to be ready and willing to buy. But if we confirm all those old suspicions, salespeople are selfish. They care more about themselves than me. They're, they've got commission breath. Like, <laughs> I can smell it. I can smell it from here. Right. <laughs> and that's what it looks like when we're not listening, when we're not being present, when we're just making it about our presentation rather than having a real conversation and caring about the other person. No doubt about it. Uh, so you're working with, you really, your niche is is in uh, uh, coaching. When yeah. You're working, helping people that have these coaching programs um, grow their influence and grow their sales. Yeah. So what kind of coaches? Uh, are these self-help? Are they finance? Who, who are these people? Yeah, good question. And I, I work with a number of different Christian entrepreneurs. And we have random side jobs here and there that we do. But our target audience is a Christian coach. That doesn't mean that their business is explicitly Christian. They're, they just happen to be a Christian background and their business is coaching. And we work with coaches in a number of different areas, you know, really across the board, anything you can think of. We have coaches who help coach people on marketing. We have coaches who are business coaches and consultants. We have people that we work with our, our marriage coaches, fitness coaches, health coaches. Um, we've got people, somebody in our, our program right now is a coach that helps people deal with the aftermath, like years later, decades later in some cases of an abortion, like how to, how to like process that, how to heal from that. Um, there's so many different topics, uh, that, that people help with, with, and if you've got something you want to serve people with, we can help you learn how to package it and sell it. Well, when you talk about, uh, people are self-sabotaging their sales, they're, they're in that negative loop mm. and we've kind of hint touched on it, but uh, dig into that a little bit more. What are some of the things that those people are doing? Besides, we, we talked about the active listening pro problem. Yeah. What are some other ways they're sabotaging? Well, the primary way people are sabotaging is before they ever get to the sales call. Most people are in sales avoidance. Most entrepreneurs or coaches, solopreneurs at home, they decided they want to run a business. They want to coach. They want to help people. And then they begin and they're like, oh, no, I have to make a sale. But they've got those old stories about what sales is. And they've got old stories about money. And they think money's evil or bad. And like, who are they to be a coach or to earn this? Or they couldn't possibly be a salesperson. I, I know coaches who are revising their website for the fourth or fifth time. And they've got zero clients. They're getting involved in all kinds of crazy like marketing ideas that the marketplace tells us that we need, complicated funnels really complicated strategies that they're not ready for when you've got no following and no clients. And what they really need to do is simply reach out, send a text to somebody they know and say, hey, can we have a cup of coffee on Zoom together, talk and get to know each other a little bit more? 
and see if I can support you. Like we just need to ask somebody to get on a call, but most people will do everything they can in their business to feel busy and feel an illusion of progress rather than yes. get on a sales call. And that is the biggest thing. Like we're not going to make sales if we're not on sales calls. That's the way we sabotage first and foremost. It's like, it reminds me of the guy that keeps buying the nicer golf clubs. He yes. keeps leveling up to the golf, you know, the four, third website, the fourth website, the, this yeah. guy's buying the, the top flight and then he's going to the tailor made and you know, and yes. meanwhile, he's not doing anything to practice his golf swing. Yeah. He's going to get better. It, it, it reminds me exactly of that. Yeah. We need but, repetition. Yeah. The repetition and actually where the hard work is done. Mm-hmm. So let's go there. Then you've got some young folks or people that are looking to break in. They're looking to get into this game. I mean, how okay you reach out to somebody the the starting has to be brutally hard how do you help your your clients with with starting well it doesn't have to be brutally hard okay i know that's some people's experience and and that that's a lot of people's experience probably too many people's experience the truth is what i want to help people do is make it really easy i like for things to be easy you know and so we want to design the easiest way possible and so for most people here's what we need if we want to go from idea to launch in your coaching business you know, I'm going to give a few steps. Number one, we need to have a mission statement. I help blank, do blank, so that blank. Essentially, who do you work with? What problem do you solve? And why does it matter? We need to make sure that we get this right. This informs everything else we do in our business. The second thing we need to do is have a real offer. And so we need to design exactly what we're going to offer in our program to people, how long it's going to be, and how much it's going to cost. Once we've got the mission statement and the offer, the third step is to make sure that we're ready to accept a payment. Set up your LLC, set up a business checking account, set up a Stripe account so you can collect a credit card. Now you are ready to take payments. After that, step four, we better be getting on sales calls, which can start as simply as, and now now we're kind of off to the races. You've got a real business launch at this point if you're holding sales calls, making your first sale. But to do this, I would recommend making a list of everybody you know who could be a potential fit for your program. And every person you know who could be a potential referral partner for your program. If you went through your entire cell phone, looked at every single name and evaluated them for both these lists, did the same thing on social media, and you came away with a list of people who could be prospects and people who could be referral partners, and you just started texting them and asking if they'd get on a Zoom call so you could share what you're doing, learn what they're doing, see how you can support each other, you'd begin to make progress. But you have to be willing to reach out to the people you know. And for some, that's scary because they're afraid of judgment and all those different things. And the last thing I'll say on this, and I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to respond, Nate, is what's what's so important here is for us to just be willing to be bold and do the real work and invite people. And if you do not think you've got anybody on in your network who is an ideal fit for the mission statement you aligned, you have the wrong mission statement. Your ideal client is probably a lot like you and a lot like the people you know in so many cases. I've heard other sales experts and coaches say they don't hear no. They hear when somebody says no, they hear not yet. Mm. Does that resonate with you? It's interesting. I think I hear no. I think I've heard no thousands of times. Uh, I'm, I, I recognize that some people are going to say yes. Some people are going to say no. And some people are not yet. Right. But I'm willing to process some people as a no and recognize that not everybody is for me and I'm not for everybody. And my program's not a fit for everyone. And not everyone's going to come back and buy later. I'm willing to receive no and not be offended by no. I've, I've heard no so many times. I think it's so healthy, but I do have a rule at the end of sales calls, which is that I want to end every single sales call with yes, no, or the next call booked. 
And so I'm happy to receive no. It gives me resolution, closes the loop. I'm ha- even happy to receive yes. And if somebody wants to think about it, I'm not just going to leave that open loop either. I'm going to say, okay, awesome. If you want to think about it, pray about it, talk to your spouse. That sounds great to me too. I would do the same thing. Can we line up a quick call for tomorrow or Friday where we can make that decision together? So I, I ultimately do want to get to yes, no, or the next call booked. Now, when you hear no, because you've been doing this for a while, so you've heard it, like you said, many times. But if you're going after that client that you're really excited about and they do ultimately say no, does that crush you? Does mm-hmm. it not impact you or does it motivate you in some way to get to the next yes? That's a great question. It doesn't crush me. doesn't crush me. That's for sure. There are thousands of potential clients for me, uh, maybe millions. There are billions of people on the planet. Like one person not being a fit right now isn't a rejection of me at all. You know, it's it's just simply them making a decision for one of a number of different factors that they think is best for them. And I'm just going to trust them. I recognize my responsibilities to invite their responsibilities to make their decision. I want to make it as easy as possible for them to say yes, but then to trust them ultimately to make their own decision. So it's not going to crush me, but it doesn't not matter at all. If it's somebody I really want to work with and I feel really confident this is a fit, I am a little bit disappointed. I am a little bit sad about that. And what I recognize is that this is a numbers game. It's about repetition and, and it's about the number of opportunities I have. So it doesn't give me any additional motivation because I'm already prepared for all possible outcomes. And I just say to myself, I need to line up as many calls as I can with qualified people. I need to invite as many of the right people as I can to my programs. And then I need to recognize coming into it that some are going to say yes, some are going to say no, some are going to say not yet. And all of that is okay. All that's part of the process. One of my mentors, Jake Merriman, used to say, like when people get to the end of the sales call and they receive an objection, like the amateur panics. But the master says, ah, an objection to be expected. And they like, it's not that big of a deal. They're ready for this. They're prepared. I know I'm going to hear no. And I'm ready to receive no when it's going to come. That's all right. I know I'm going to receive yes too. And I can accept all things. Well, nothing worth it ever comes easy. There's always resistance. If you're trying to score a touchdown, the other team's trying to prevent you from scoring. Right. So that's (laughs) that's a great tidbit. Uh, So you mentioned... It's either a yes, no, or if it's if it's you're in between, it's let's get the next call booked and scheduled. Yeah. So I would also imagine then comes the real hard part because you've gotten you've established yourself as credible, you've established yourself as likable, they believe you're authentic, you've asked the right questions. Okay, we're at our third, we're at our fourth call, whatever it may be. Now it's time to close. Mm. And as we all know, closing time doesn't come easy. So talk to us about your six O's of closing. Yeah. And I want to I want to challenge that too. Like closing time can come easy. It can come easier than than we think. I think you're right. Like you're nailing exactly like how the listeners are going to feel. Like most people are thinking, yeah, oh man, everything else sure. The closing that's the hard part. But I think we need to rewire some of these stories and say, well, for me, closing doesn't have to be really difficult. Closing could be easy. It could be natural. What if it was the most natural, easy thing in the world? If we do a great job through the first nine steps of the, of the process that we run through, I believe that the closing becomes just a natural next step and it becomes really easy. And I am going to try to close the deal on the first sales call in my business the vast majority of the time. Sometimes it's going to take two, but I've given my full offer at the end of the first call, which is the first step uh, to the six O's of closing, like after they've committed to solving the problem is to make my offer, to share the details, to share the heart behind it as well. And how I think it can solve their problem 
and then to make sure that I'm asking for the order. And so I'm going to say, so that you get this, 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 and this. I think that's going to help you achieve this goal you shared before. And this program's only $10,000. Is this something that you'd like to do? And so I'm going to share the price. I'm going to have a little pause. I'm going to share uh, a real ask. Is this something you want to do? So that's all part of the offer. After that, I'm receiving objections, which is the rest of the six O's. There might be questions. There might be concerns. That's normal to be expected. Uh, but for me, the simple way to explain the rest of the five steps is to just be as curious as possible. You know, validate where they're at, be curious, challenge and ask good questions and help them find the truth in their answer. I can give you an example of what that looks like if you'd like. Yes, please. So if somebody says it's too much money or, oh, that feels like a lot or something like that, I'm going to validate. I, I totally get it. That is a really big investment. Tell me more about that. Like I want to investigate the financial situation. Tell me more about that. Let them explain why they think this is a lot or why they think it's too much. Or so what's going on let me let me just play, let's let's role play, Justin. Yeah. So it's a lot for me because I've got kids, I've got bills, um, I'm a single parent, and yeah. I've got a lot going on. So ten thousand dollars all at once is absolutely not doable for me. Yeah. But maybe there's a way to do it. Maybe spread out over time or. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. That that makes a lot of sense. And the situation you're in 10 cal at once would be a lot. So yeah, we, we can find another way to make this work. Let me ask you a question before we get into that. If we could find a way to fit this into your budget, do you feel like this is a solution that can help you solve the problem? I do. This this feels okay. right. Okay, cool. Feels right to me too. I'm, I'm really confident that we can work together and I can help you. And so if we want to work together, I'm happy to divide this up into payments. So sometimes people pay 10K in full. This is an annual program. The other option is to do $1,000 a month for the 12 months. Would that be easier to fit in your budget? Uh, that would be a lot more doable, but you're saying that if we're going to spread it out over 12 months, it, it's going to cost me a little more. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. We give a paid in full discount. You know, it, obviously it's good for our cash flow too. So when somebody can pay in full, we give them a couple months free. And if that's something that's possible for you, Nate, like I know that you're working on your business right now, like things might grow over the next few months. I'm happy to even let you like have three months to complete paid in full and not charge you any interest and just go with the 10K. And if this is the only way for you to get in the program is to pay a little bit of interest, pay a little bit extra, but this is going to help you make more sales and improve your financial situation, it's probably worth it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, would there be any impact on on my on your availability to me throughout the program because we're doing this in increments rather than one lump sum? That's a great question. I do I do know some programs that don't let you do certain things or access certain things until you're paid in full. For us, you know, I like to work in a handshake agreement. I know it's unusual, but if we decide to work together, I trust you, you trust me. We're agreeing and committing to each other, and I'm going to make an assumption that you're going to make every payment. You know, I trust you to do so. If you fell on hard times and you couldn't, we'd figure that out and do what was right. Mm. For my part, we're going to treat you like anybody who paid in full and give you the very best of what we've got throughout the entire program. And my expectation and hope is that you'll give the very best of what you've got. And if we work together and we're both committed to your outcome, I'm really certain we're going to get there. How that, does that, that, feel, that feels very comfortable, Justin. Very comfortable. Cool. Are you ready to do this then? I think so. Awesome. So that's the last, <laughs> oh, by the way, is to offer again. Like we need to ask for the order. Are you ready to do this then? Should right. we do this? Um, do you want to do this? We have to directly ask. And so that's how you're going to handle like the, the, that was a good role play. Thank you for that. You were, you were pretty easy on me, which I appreciate. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me ask you though, let, let's assume that your coach, that that's trying to close a sale where it's 
you versus you and the potential client. But yeah. how about when that potential client, which I'm sure happens at times, is looking at multiple options, mm-hmm. multiple programs, multiple coaches. Yeah. And they're two, and you know that you're in their final two or three. Sure. I would imagine that your closing strategies might be a little bit different than in the role play that we just had. Sure. I'm going to assume it's pretty similar. Like I'm, I, and until they tell me, I'm going to, I'm going to assume that we're the only thing they're considering and that we're the best solution. If I get to the end, they're like, you know, yeah, this is, this is interesting. I like what you're saying. I do have a couple of other coaches I'm considering as well. Like what makes you different from them? Mm. You know, that might be what they would say. And, and my response to that would be like, that's a great question. I want to ask you because you're the one who's met with them and you've also met with me. What do you think makes me different from them? Um, I would, I would, I would tell tell you that as long as that client or potential client feels like they have a connection, this is an intangible feel. Yeah, nine out of ten times, at least. Yeah, yeah. And if I don't tell you, I'll tell you from my experience, Justin. I was a a sports agent for a few years after law school. Yeah, and we would go out again. We would recruit college kids um, playing college football, Mm -hmm. getting ready for the NFL. So we'd be recruiting them during their senior season. They're meeting with all the agents. We know that there's multiple players. I mean, yes. we were in their final three. We were in the final four. That meant nothing <laughs> if you couldn't get to the yes. If you couldn't yeah. get to the – and, you know, getting to yes in those instances is not always not always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we realized was we were losing on clients because we didn't go hard enough at the end. We were too nice. They liked us. Mm. But we were too nice in those situations. Mm. And then when we started turning up the, the pressure with their family, the last meeting, we're your guys. We're not accepting no. You're going with us. We're going to blood, sweat, and tears. The, these big agencies don't give a shit about you. We mm-hmm. care. We're all that kind of stuff. It's amazing the light bulbs that you see going off in their eyes. Now, again, that's a different, that's a different type of sales. Sure. But it is all kind of interrelated. Yes. And I'm I'm happy to be direct and to challenge people at the end. And we need to know, like when there's times when you're with somebody and you're in a sales conversation and you're not sure 100% that it's a fit or they're not sure 100%. Like there's a little bit of room for, is this right or not? But there are other times where you know, you're the right coach, you're the right person for them. They're a perfect fit for your program. And in that instance, I'm just going to be more direct. I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to say, listen, like I get it. I get it that you want to consider these other options. Here's what I know. I know that I'm committed to helping you solve this problem. I've done this with hundreds of others. I know that I'm the right coach for you. I know you're the right person for this program. And what I believe in is if you're committed and you're willing to work with me and trust me and we can move forward with momentum, we're going to get this accomplished together. Do you also believe that we can accomplish this outcome for you? And I'm just going to ask that question. And they're like, yes, cool. And like, let's not wait around. Like if you really feel intuitively that this is right, it's going to feel really good for us to move forward with momentum. Are you ready to do that? And I, I don't need to have false urgency. I don't need to make anything up. Like this offer is only good for 24 hours. I just need to tell them like, <laughs> this is a fit for both of us. It's going to feel really good for us to move forward with momentum. Sure. Are you ready to do that? Like if I just directly approach them like that, I'm going to get yes more often than not at that point. Mm, beautiful stuff. Faith to influence.com. We've linked that in the show notes. Before we get finished up, just talk. You mentioned the $10,000, but for people that are curious, I mean, I know it ranges all over the place. Yeah. How does somebody that is in this process looking to coach, uh, how do you suggest that they price their work? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's also it's it's complicated question. We walk people through a process, and I've got I've got uh, can I offer a coach's playbook to people if they want to check this out? That would have okay. If you go to goodsalespdf.com, goodsalespdf.com, you can get our coach's playbook for free. And this okay. is going to give you some information on how to design your business model. It's going to give you some sales tips, including our, our entire 10-step sales process. I kind of ran through in a hurry in this call, goodsalespdf.com. You'll also get on our email list and you can see our podcast where we teach sales strategies every single week. So that stuff can all help. But when I'm helping somebody price, it can feel very arbitrary for a new coach. I'm going to help them decide the length of their program first. Do you want it to be three months, six months, 12 months? It shouldn't be all a cart. Like there should be a defined amount of time that you're agreed to work together. And then I'm going to walk them through the different components that people sometimes offer in a coaching program, one-on-one coaching, group coaching calls, live events, so on and so on and so on, and have them select the ones that feel fun for them and then define the value. So I'm going to go through a range. I'm going to say, hey, these are typically in the marketplace. A one-on-one call goes between this and this, a group call between this and this, a live event between this and this. How often do you want to offer these in your program and what's your price point? Are you a luxury model or are you an economy model? You know, what's your audience? What are you providing? How experienced are you? And so we have to have a starting place and come up with this rough draft. Say, okay, here's my offer. Here's my price point. And this is defensible because I thought about the real value based on what I'm learning in the marketplace for every single item. And I put together an offer that was right for me. And so there's a bit of a process in that. And for everybody, it's different. But most coaches should have an offer between five and thirty thousand dollars. That's common. Five and thirty. Five and thirty. Between five and thirty in in like a six to twelve month program. And if you're not at that level, I mean, it's also great to have a low ticket offer under $100 a month. That's more of a continuity, retention, membership-based model that can be successful over time. But new coaches are going to go to that and it's going to be spend so much time and money on that and get like three clients paying $100 a month and never achieve their goals. It's easier to start with a high ticket offer and then later on bring the low ticket membership offer after you've established yourself. That's beautiful stuff. So that was uh, we'll we'll link that in the well. You said that was what was the web uh, link one more time? Because good sales, good PDF sales, P, good sales PDF because it changes to f 2 itribecom But OK, good sales PDF dot com. We'll link that up as well for anyone who wants to see uh, Justin's 10 step program that he he just teased us with. What you, you mentioned five to 30 is normal. I'm just curious. What's the biggest you've ever seen? Uh, I've, I've seen programs for over 100,000. Yeah. And that's over the course of a 12-month period? 12-month period, $100,000. There's there's money to be made out there. If you're bringing yeah. value and you're helping people's lives and you're helping them get to a, a higher levels, uh, the return on investment happens fairly quickly for these folks. Yeah, they have to have very ideal clients and they're going to they're gonna search in a very specific pool and deliver a very specific outcome at the 100K mark. Uh, most new coaches are in the 5 to 10 range sure. most coaches five to 30 but 50 100 really established coaches solving big problems absolutely beautiful faith to influence.com like i said we've linked that as well anywhere else justin you want people to find you online social media etc thanks for asking you can check out the sales strategies for christian coaches podcast sales strategies for christian coaches even if you're not christian like i said the sales strategies work really well for any high integrity salesperson got it Beautiful stuff, man. Thank you for sharing some wisdom with us today and and wishing you continued success. Thank you, Nate.